I have worked with writers for over a decade, and during that time, there is one thing that kills more author careers than anything else. Burnout. And while author careers start a million different ways, they almost all end the same with burnout. If you're tired, weary, or stuck in your writing, this episode is for you. There is hope. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media and Vulcan of Book Marketing, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. And let me say that I personally am no stranger to burnout. About a year and a half ago, I woke up so overwhelmed with all of the different roles and tasks that I had that I couldn't get out of bed. I had a total meltdown, a total mental breakdown, you could say, and I realized that something had to change. I counted up my responsibilities and realized I had 19 different roles. I used a tool developed in my mastermind group called the Project Value Planner, and it's a simple spreadsheet where I ranked each of my areas of responsibility on three criteria, how easy they were, how much joy they brought me, and how much money they brought in, easiness, joy, and revenue. And each activity got a score from 1 to 10 in the spreadsheet. And then the spreadsheet multiplied the scores together, which gave a total score. And then I was able to sort by the total score to see just how valuable my projects were compared to each other. And the spreadsheet made it clear that I had several mediocre scores. In fact, I would go on to say most of my scores were mediocre. And I had a handful of activities that scored really well. So I started cutting the bottom activities on the spreadsheet out of my life. And let me say, this was a painful process. Some of the things that I cut were areas of responsibility that I invested years and years in that were points of pride. Like for instance, the plugins, right? I helped develop and invent the MyBook Table plugin and the MyBook Progress plugin, but they had mediocre scores on the Project Value Planner. So I started looking for a company to sell those plugins to, to give away my babies. Oh, it was so hard. And um, up to that point, this show was co-hosted by James L. Rubart, and he too was swamped. And he went through a similar process of ranking his activities. And interestingly, the same process for him produced very different results. For me, the value planner made it clear I needed to keep hosting novel marketing. While for him, It showed him that he needed to stop hosting the podcast. He had some really exciting things to work on, and the podcast was pulling him away from those exciting things. And this led us to the famous episode 204, Focus, Pruning, and Why Novel Marketing is About to Change. And this is the episode where Jim announced that he was stepping down from the podcast. Looking back, I suspect this episode saved the Novel Marketing Podcast. Otherwise, I think it would have ended up pod fading. Jim desperately needed more time to work on those other exciting projects. And by him stepping back and me making the pruning in the other areas of life to have more time to work on the podcast, suddenly the podcast was well taken care of again. (laughs) And without the pruning, I wouldn't have had the time and Jim didn't have the time and the podcast would have pod faded. Interestingly, about that time, almost all of the other book marketing podcasts uh, pod faded. In 2019, the book marketing show, the sci-fi and fantasy marketing podcast, the Smarty Mance uh, book marketing podcast, and the book launch show all came to an end. So the one show that didn't pod fade was the Sell More Book Show, which also had a host change up that year. 
the book marketing podcast world is not very big, but 2019 was a big year in that small teacup. It was a uh, tornado in a teacup, you could say. And I will put a free version of the Project Value Planner in the show notes if you want to download it and try it yourself and see how your different activities rank against the other activities that you're doing. And I'll say that podcasting is a lot of work, and it has to be worth it for the show host to keep going week after week. It takes a lot of effort and money to put on a podcast, and a big part of what's kept this show on the air were the patrons that supported the podcast financially. And if you look at the podcasts for writers that survived the 2019 shakeup and are still going strong today, almost all of them have solid backing from their listeners on Patreon. It really is the difference maker in what helps a podcast stick around. So anyway, back to the story. I spent most of 2019 cutting responsibilities. It was just like chopping fingers off. It was so painful. And the part of what made it painful was that many of those activities were bringing me money. They weren't bringing me a lot of money, but a little bit of money, you know, adds up, especially if you have a bunch of activities that are each bringing you a little bit of money. And so I saw a drop in revenue in 2019. And by the end of the year, I was mostly done with most of the pruning. And uh, just in time, uh, on December 29th, our son Tommy was born. And so we entered 2020 with high hopes and lots of optimism. It's going to be a brand new, fresh year with a fresh start. This is where you laugh sardonically. <laughs> anyway, um, so we spent the first two months of 2020 lockdown with a newborn. And we came out of lockdown just in time to go back into lockdown for COVID-19. Now, when the lockdown started in March, I had some extra capacity because I had done that printing in 2019 that I was able to do a series of free webinars. Basically, in about a three or four week period, put on an entire writer's conference worth of free presentations that I gave for free and offered to people who were subscribed to the email newsletter. I announced them on the podcast, but the only way to get them was to be on the newsletter. And I wanted to offer something to make up for all the writers' conferences that were being canceled. And this was uh, my way of giving back to the community. And this was back in the, we can get through this together period of the pandemic, where we all thought it was only going to last for a few weeks. Ah, the optimism of the early 2020. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but like I said, I enjoyed giving back to the community and I got something in return. While it cost me time and money to put on the webinars, I got a boost to my email list. So from my perspective, it was a win-win. But to do those webinars, sometimes one or two a week, in addition to my two weekly podcasts, was a lot of work. It was too much work to sustain for a long period of time, except instead of taking a break after that, I went straight into the book launch blueprint, which was the biggest and most uh, well-attended course we ever did. And many of our students were locked at home, locked down at home, and so they spent all day, every day during the course, just doing homework and asking questions. And I had hundreds of questions coming in and it was more than I could handle and I ended up having a stress migraine on and off uh, that whole course because I bit off more than I can chew. And in hindsight, obviously this is more work than I can handle. Maybe you can relate. You've bit off more than you can chew with the current projects that you are uh, working on. Hopefully not. Hopefully this sounds like some foreign and exotic thing that happens to strange people. And the mistake that I made looking back wasn't in doing the webinars. I think the webinars were good, and I think it helped a lot of people. And it wasn't in doing the course. That definitely helped a lot of people. We got incredible feedback from people going through the Book Launch Blueprint course. The mistake was maintaining that frantic pace 
and not taking a break in between and not taking a break after. <laughs> when it was all over, I um, picked almost immediately picked up a New York Times bestselling author as a consulting client. This is an author with a household name book. And I was really excited to work with that client, even though... Uh, consulting did not rank high on my project value planner, but this author was so cool. I wanted to work with this author, so I did it anyway. And it was a great learning experience and a great experience all around, but uh, it didn't give me that break that I needed. And right about the time uh, that engagement did wind down is when I went straight into Obscure No More, which brings us to today. So even with the pruning I did last year, I've been going, going, going this whole year. And so I have been battling burnout myself. And 2020 has been a tough year. It's been a tough year for everyone. You know, depending on your, your situation, it may have been months since you've touched another person. Some people have gone months without seeing another human face, not covered by a mask or behind a screen. Uh, some of us, you know, that's more than even prisoners in solitary confinement get. <laughs> so uh, some of us have gone months without a paycheck and others uh, have had to work more hours just to make do make the same money that we made last year. And I know for my family, in addition to work being intense, I feel like we've had one blow after another, whether it's emergency ambulance trips to the ER, deaths in the family, or the social isolation, or just living in lockdown with an energetic toddler and a brand new baby. It's been a tough year. It's also been a full year. You know, a new baby has caused us to start uh, selling our house and looking for a new house. And now that 2020 is coming to an end, the adrenaline of the pandemic has worn off, or at least it's worn off for me. We still have a long road ahead. Uh, this whole year, we keep thinking, oh, this event in the future, you know, once summer comes, it'll get easier. Uh, once the election happens, it'll get easier. Once the vaccine comes out, it will get easier. And we keep telling ourselves just two weeks away, just two weeks away. And hopefully it will be easier. And I will say many authors took their pandemic adrenaline and they put it into their writing, which was an incredibly good thing to do, right? If you have a lot of time at home, spending that extra time writing is a really productive way to redeem that time. And I know this because the literary agents that I know tell me they're getting twice the proposals they normally get. A lot of people are writing a lot more. And I suspect that that frantic pace is not a sustainable pace. In fact, I suspect that 2021 might be, for the publishing world, what 2019 was for the book marketing podcast world, where a lot of authors are going to get burnt out and quit. And as somebody who struggled a lot with burnout myself, I want to share some things that I've learned over the last year and a half to help this not happen to you. If you want to make it, if you don't want to get burned out, during the slog that is the writing career, the writing process, here are some things that I've learned. And the first is that rest is important. Writing is like breathing out. And if you want to breathe out, you must also breathe in. And the cleaner the air you breathe, the easier it is to breathe. But what really matters, it's not the quality of the air, but the act of breathing. <laughs> Sometimes like, oh, I'm not going to breathe unless every breath can be a perfectly clean breath. No, <laughs> you got to breathe the air you've got because you can't breathe out if you're not also breathing in. And it's interesting that one of the Ten Commandments is about rest. You know, most of the commandments, like don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, they make sense instinctively. But why a commandment on rest? Well, I can say that when I'm exhausted, I'm not my best self, just to say the least. In fact, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they have this concept of HALT, which stands for hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Alcoholics are most likely to relapse and start drinking again when they are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. 
and setting a day a week aside to rest and share a meal with your community deals with all four halt elements. Rest makes being a better person easier and it makes being a better writer easier as well. When I set a pace for myself that I can't sustain, everything in my life begins to suffer. And it's okay for a season to devote every spare minute to writing a novel, but if I try to make every month like National Novel Writing Month, I will burn out. (laughs) For everything there is a season, there's a season for intense work and there is a season for rest. In fact, the ancients believed in three kinds of rest. So real quick, let's talk about them. The first is daily rest, right? This makes sense. This is taking a five-minute break from your writing to walk around the block and clear your head. But it's also getting a good night's sleep, right? We're sleeping less and worse than ever before. You know this. I know this. It's the screens. The screens are stealing our sleep away. And it takes a toll physically and emotionally. And you would think with everything locked down, we'd be getting more sleep. But in reality, we're just spending more time with our screens. As the CEO of Netflix once said, their biggest competitor is sleep. If you're feeling burnt out, try to get to bed an hour earlier. You may be shocked at the difference just one additional hour of sleep makes. There's a lot to be said about sleep. I'm not an expert on sleep, but there's some good books on sleep. And if you're struggling with sleep, I encourage you to study. Get a book on sleep. Learn about what is causing sleep to be good, what causes it to be bad, and how you can have better, more restful sleep. But I will say, in order to go to bed an hour earlier, you're going to need to cut an hour worth of activities out of your day. (laughs) So what can you prune to make more time for sleep? And I will say, speaking of sleep, I was stuck on the outline of this episode. I was going completely in the wrong direction. And so I took a nap. (laughs) And when I woke up, I had fresh vision for what to talk about. And I decided to share more of my personal story instead of just throwing tips at you. So hopefully the episode is better result. You can let me know in the comments or shoot me an email at thomas at authormedia.com. But I will say there's a lot of science in support of the power of napping. And I'll have a link uh, to an article all about how beneficial napping can be in the show notes. Uh, The second kind of rest that the ancients recognized was weekly rest. This is the kind of rest that is specifically talked about in the Ten Commandments. And there's something to be said about resting one day in seven, especially if you make a point to take that day to spend quality time with your friends and family. The only semesters I got straight A's in college were the semesters where I refused to study or do any homework on Sundays. Resting my mind helped me learn better the other six days of the week. The semesters where I did work and study on Sundays, I got worse grades. (laughs) One of the things I learned in college and one of the things that rest forced me to learn was that working longer is not the same as working better. I was able to get better grades by working fewer days a week. (laughs) And resting one day a week had a lot to do with me being able to graduate with honors. It was like my cheat code (laughs) in a sense. And my challenge with resting once a week is that it's very easy for me to spend the whole day zoned out to one screen or another. And I find that, at least for me, that's not nearly as restful as going for a hike with my wife and kids. And I would suspect I would be a lot happier as a person, a lot more productive, if I took my children to the playground more. And I also suspect that the house would be a bit quieter, too, as we gave our kids a place to burn off their manic toddler energy. Playgrounds. It's a win-win. The third kind of rest is a seasonal rest. And it's interesting that pretty much every civilization in the history of the world had holidays. They had different holidays, but they often had holidays around the same points in the calendar. There's some deep need in the human condition that needs special rest days 
from time to time. And holidays are a great way to celebrate triumphs, but they're also a great way to mitigate sadness. Imagine living in the far frozen north in the winter in a time before electricity, when the winter really was a dark and cold and scary time. You would want a holiday of light near the shortest, darkest day of the year. And that's what you see. <laughs> There's a holiday of light in pretty much every culture uh, right around that darkest day of the year. Somehow, the darkest, coldest time of the year can be transformed into the most wonderful time of the year through the power of holidays. <laughs> so, and I'll say one key for holidays in today's world with electricity and heaters. But one big benefit of them that I've noticed is that we all take them together. And this is why coming back from a holiday feels different than getting back from a vacation. When I get back from vacation, I have a stack of work piled up from all of the people who were not on vacation. I have hundreds of emails to go through. Sometimes it takes me days to get through all of the email after I go on vacation, and it's not very fun. The days after a vacation are sometimes so miserable that it undoes all of the fun of the vacation. But not so with a holiday, because with a holiday, everybody else is taking a break too. And so they're not sending you emails. They're not sending you tasks to complete. And everyone comes back from the holiday rested and encouraged and rejuvenated, or at least more rested, more rejuvenated, more encouraged than they would having come back from vacation. <laughs> so I realize holidays can be rough for various reasons, and especially if you're grieving, I would say. And, and I'll also say that I'm really hoping this Christmas to really lean into it and practice what I preach. I plan to take a break from making new episodes until the end of the Christmas New Year's season, so I won't be doing new episodes until January. And this way, you can take a break too. I've never made a gingerbread house before, and now my daughter Mercy is old enough to make one. She's already made one with her mom. Perhaps she can show me how to do it. So I want you all to hold me accountable that I actually took a break and I actually made a gingerbread house. And this kind of quality time with your family is what holidays are all about. And so let's all do that together. Let's all give each other a break from email <laughs> so we don't send the emails so they don't feel like obligated to send them back. We can all come back more rested, a little bit less burned out. So the first thing I learned about burnout was that rest is important. The second thing I learned about burnout is that pacing is important. Once upon a time, a turtle and a rabbit had a foot race, and the rabbit raced ahead right out of the gate, but soon got tired and distracted. Meanwhile, the turtle kept going slowly and steadily, and he won the race. And this, of course, is the famous fable, but what's interesting is it's not just true in the fable. It's actually true in science. In the show notes, I'll have a link to a YouTube video embedded where you can see a turtle and a rabbit on a racetrack racing each other, and sure enough, the turtle wins through slow, deliberate effort. Now, you may be thinking that pacing and rest are at odds, but this is false. Rest is part of pacing. Just like you, how you need to breathe in to breathe out and breathe out to breathe in, you need to be rested to keep a steady pace. In fact, one way to think about pacing is that it is resting while you work. It is picking a speed where you can maintain for a very long time. Beware of taking advice from the person sprinting out of the gate at the marathon. You may find yourself passing them and their bad advice after a few miles of a maintainable pace. A big part of pacing is pruning, and I talked about this, that I've had to go through this myself. You know, we all only have 24 hours a day, and when you choose to do something for an hour, you are choosing not to do anything else 
during that hour. And if you choose to multitask for an hour, you're choosing to get nothing done except switching from task to task. <laughs> we only get one shot at each day. There are no checkpoints, save games, or do-overs. And so pruning allows us to focus and focus allows us to make progress. And progress is what encourages us to keep going and not get burned out. If you want to succeed at something, you must be willing to invest time and effort into that thing. This seems commonsensical, right? I shouldn't need to say this, but I know so many authors who are stingy with their time and treasure and then get frustrated that they're not seeing results in their publishing career. If you want to reap, you must first sow. This is not new advice. <laughs> this is something our ancient ancestors discovered when they stopped hunting and gathering and started farming. They realized that if you're willing to invest and let some of those seeds that you gathered fall into the earth and die, invest them, that in the future they will grow and produce far more seeds. And some of those seeds you plant and you can feed your family and have an abundance to spare. There is an advantage to being a farmer over a hunter-gatherer, and it's why we eat food that is farmed. I can't tell you the last time I've eaten food that was hunted or gathered. <laughs> it just doesn't happen much anymore because it's not a scalable approach. Sometimes a good activity can rob time and energy away from the best activity. And if you want a healthy plant, you must be willing to prune that plant. You cut off some of the branches so that the other branches can bear more fruit. And this is why I really like the Project Value Spreadsheet so much and why I'm giving it to you for free if you want it. It allows you to see what the healthiest branches are in your life. And I like the fact that it doesn't just look at money. And it's really easy to put together you know, a list of all the projects and how much money those things brought in. But money isn't everything in life, right? Joy is also important and effort is important, right? Something that it brings in a lot of money, but also is a lot of effort that needs to be measured differently than something that brings in a fair amount of money, but takes almost no effort at all. And like I said, I will have a free copy of the spreadsheet that you can download in the show notes at authormedia.com forward slash 267. Another part of keeping a sustainable pace is to have a supportive community. If you go to a marathon, along the sides of the marathon, you'll find hydration stations where people are handing out water and Gatorade to the runners running past. And there's a reason why almost every book has an acknowledgement section, and that acknowledgement section is filled mostly not with industry professionals, but with friends and family. Why? Because those are important. If you don't have a supportive community, you're not going to make it. Authors without a supportive spouse or with a spouse who's jealous of their book often don't end up making it to publication, or if they do, their book does not successfully spread and it gets very few readers. You really need community support. You need family support because it is such a hard journey. And if your pace is so intense that you're harming the most important relationships in your life, your pace is too intense. <laughs> Slow down and you will go farther in the long term. As the ancient proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We need each other. And if you want to make it through the long journey of writing and publishing and marketing a book, you're going to need a community around you. So pick a pace that your family can keep up with, right? You don't want your kids resenting your book. You don't want your spouse resenting your book. The more supportive your family and friends are, the more successful you will be. So rest is important for fighting burnout, 
Pacing is important for fighting burnout. And the third thing that I've learned is important for fighting burnout is organization. (laughs) So I get burnt out faster when I'm disorganized. Why? Because everything simply takes more effort. It's like trying to cut down a tree with a dull ax. So how do you sharpen your ax? You get organized. If you're the kind of person who uses phrases like, I'm not an organized person, stop. (laughs) That is a toxic, poisonous thing to say to yourself. No one is born organized. No one is an organized person. And now that I'm a father, I know this with certainty. The first thing my children were able to make was a mess. And now even their attempts to clean often leave the area messier than after they helped. And this isn't just true. In my observation, it's also a scientific law. It's called entropy. It's one of the laws of thermodynamics, and it states that things tend to go from a state of order to a state of disorder. You leave a clean room, you come back a year later, and somehow the room is messy. And what makes humans special is that we can exert effort and intent to fight back against entropy. We can bring order to a chaotic world world. This is what you do with your writing, right? You're not putting random words on a page. You're putting ordered words on the page. And those ordered words have meaning. (laughs) It's a powerful thing. And organization is a learned skill. No one is born with it. So instead of saying, I'm not an organized person, say, I'm the kind of person who can learn how to use an organizational system. Sure, some people are able to create organizational systems themselves. And I think when we say somebody is an organized person, this is what we're talking about. They're able to create their own organized system. Just like some people are able to create their own religions, but just like how creating your own religion is very rare, creating your own organizational system is very rare. Most of us need to use somebody else's organizational system. Now, I am agnostic when it comes to organizational systems. Pick one that works for you and then follow it religiously. (laughs) Some systems that I like Getting Things Done by Dave Allen. I'll have a link to that book in the show notes. And then the Kanban system. I use personal Kanban uh, myself. But there are hundreds of systems to pick from. In fact, if you're trying to decide which organizational system to pick, if you don't feel like you're organized enough, if your lack of organization is inhibiting your writing, there's a great podcast called the Productivity Lab Podcast. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's a podcast hosted by two writers. And each episode, they pick a new organizational system or method or technique, and they use it for two weeks. And then they tell you what they think about it. So like one time, they tried cold showers because there's some belief that uh, taking cold showers will make you a more productive person. And so they did that for two weeks, and then they talked about it. Spoiler, they hated it. (laughs) So you can learn uh, from their pain, uh, and it's a great podcast. But another aspect of organization is keeping your workspace clean. When I was in Boy Scouts, I took the Auto Mechanics Merit Badge, and one of the dads in our troop was a mechanic at one of the top auto shops in town, and he brought us to his shop to take the Merit Badge. And as a car mechanic, he was making over six figures. He he was very proud of the fact that he made more money than most of the other dads in the troop, despite having a, quote, low status, unquote, job. And while he taught us how to change tires and how to change the oil, what he was really trying to teach us was something more fundamental, how to work with excellence. In his auto shop, mechanics were paid by the job. There's a certain amount of money that you get for changing a transmission, regardless of how long it takes you. So the faster that you're able to get the job done, the more money you will make. 
If you do slow, sloppy work that you have to do over again, you make a lot less money than if you were able to work quickly with quality. And he showed us his toolbox and it had hundreds of tools in it, maybe thousands of tools. It had drawer after drawer of tools I don't even know the name of. And he talked about how each tool had a specific spot where it went in his toolbox and how he always put each tool back exactly in the spot where it went. He said, I never look for tools. This saves me a lot of time. I always know exactly where each tool is because it is always exactly where it goes. In fact, some of these tools I can grab without even looking. And because of this simple organizational system that he was disciplined enough to follow, he was able to work faster and produce higher quality work, and it caused him to make more money than the dads with the, quote, high-status jobs, unquote. And that minute spent looking for a tool adds up to an hour if you do it 60 times. And many mechanics reach for tools hundreds of times a day. And just that little change of always taking the time to put a tool back where it goes saves him hours and hours every week. I remember him talking about how you can learn a lot about somebody by watching them push a broom. (laughs) You can learn if they take pride in their work or if they cut quarters. He was a craftsman and he took a lot of pride in his work. And what made him so profitable was that discipline. It was that organization. And if he can do it with being a car mechanic, by keeping his bay shockingly clean for what is normally considered a messy environment, surely you can do the same as an author who doesn't have to fight grease. As an author, being clean is about keeping your workspace free from distractions. If you are trying to write while surrounded by visual reminders of uncompleted tasks, also known as clutter, it is no wonder you're struggling with burnout. But this also applies to keeping your digital workspace clean. Keep your research organized. Turn off alerts and notifications on your computer. There's a kind of author who tries to write a novel with Outlook notifications turned on. And every five minutes, Outlook dings and pulls them away, seeing if their proposal has been accepted by the agent or that they've gotten a payment notification from Amazon. Don't be that author. Don't let Outlook be the boss of you. You decide when you check your email and you decide when you focus. In Judaism, there's a holiday called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and part of that holiday includes a deep cleaning of the house to make sure all of the leaven is removed. The Passover meal could be seen as a reward at the end of a holiday filled with spring cleaning. (laughs) What a great practice. What would happen to our productivity if we took a holiday to deep clean our workspaces, our houses, and our computers? We'd re-enter the work, I imagine, with much more energy and enthusiasm. Another part of being organized is using the right tool. Sometimes, you know, work is harder because we're using the wrong tool for the job. You know, if you're still writing books on Microsoft Word and relying on Word spell check, oh, you're making life so hard on yourself. There's a better way. And I'm not going to belabor this too much. I did a whole episode on this uh, earlier in the year. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's called the 2020 Software Guide for Authors. And in that episode, I break down the various tools that you can use to make writing faster and easier. And I'll just say, someone refusing to learn Scrivener because it takes time to learn, to me, that sounds like somebody refusing to learn how to drive a car because it takes so long to get a driver's license. It's like, sure, you can take your bike to work, but you will save so much time in the long run driving instead. And there's a reason people drive to work and take the time to learn how to drive a car because it's so much faster. And there are so many good alternatives to Microsoft Word. Scrivener is just the most popular, but there's a lot of others. So don't use Word. It's, it's not the best tool. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about rest. We've talked about pacing. We've talked about organization. All as tools for fighting burnout. There's one last thing 
that I've learned uh, for avoiding burnout, and that is challenge. It, which, this seems a little kind of counterintuitive, you'd think, because the first three are about fighting stress, and stress is a big cause of burnout. But the other cause of burnout is boredom. <laughs> Some authors get burned out not because they're stressed, but because they're bored with their own writing. And I see this uh, more often with successful genre authors. They have a certain kind of book that they write that their readers want to read. And anytime they branch away from that book, their readers don't buy it, don't like it. And they feel stuck writing the same kind of book over and over again. And so back to the grindstone they go. So if this is you, what do you do? <laughs> well, one way is to challenge yourself. Uh, just because your readers are expecting your books to fit within a really narrow genre, that doesn't mean you can't make the project creatively interesting for you. The best way to make a project creatively interesting is to pick some aspect of your craft to improve and then really focus on that area of craft in your writing. Create some special challenge to make it harder and, and make the book a more interesting book for you to write. So Jerry Jenkins, who'd already written over 100 books and sold millions of copies, wrote a book titled The Last Operative. And in that book, he wrote it without any dialogue attribution tags. He did it as a special challenge for himself. And he did it so well, most readers didn't even notice. But that wasn't the point. The point was that he was trying to challenge himself on book 100 some odd to become a better writer by creating a special challenge. And it also made writing the book far more creatively interesting. Ernest Vincent Wright wrote Gatsby, which is a 50,000-word novel without using the letter E. And that is the sort of silly example, but it does illustrate the extremes some authors will go to when trying to keep their writing challenging. Now, perhaps if Ernest Wright had used the letter E, he could have written The Great Gatsby, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, another way to help fight burnout is to read good books. You know, reading a masterpiece tends to inspire you to write better yourself, and it gives you ideas. And I suspect, now that you've been writing for a while, if you were to go back to the masterpieces that you read back in the day, you know, the books that really jumped out at, to you in high school, or that you read you know, in a literature course, if you go back and read them, I imagine you'll see them with different eyes. You're going to see them now with author eyes. You're not just going to see the what that caused you to fall in love with the book in the first place, but you'll start to see the how. And this tends to be very inspirational because you can take that how that you now can see now that you're an author, you can apply it to your own writing. Right? So perhaps you notice how Mark Twain uses character voice as an element of foreshadowing to create drama and tension and keep you turning the page. Well, you may not be writing about boys taking a trip down a river, but you could implement that technique in your own writing. So reading some really good books can be very rejuvenating. And it's also an opportunity to get away from the screens and to be very pro-burnout. And then another technique uh, that some authors use is they branch out with a pen name. And they'll write a totally different kind of book under a pen name. And this allows them to get away from all of the expectations that came with their current name. So J.K. Rowling uh, wanted to write some crime thrillers. So she created a pen name, Robert Galbraith. And she wrote under that pen name. And it was, you know, some investigators finally figured it out <laughs> that it was her the whole time. Uh, but the advantage of writing under the pen name is that she was set free from the expectations of her existing readers. She didn't have to write yet another story in the wizarding world. The disadvantage of this technique, though, is that by branching out with a pen name, especially if you do it secretly, you're also putting aside all of the platform and reputation that you've built up, and you really are starting over from scratch. So this strategy works best if you have enough money to take a risk of starting over. 
This is more of a, once you've really advanced and really established, this is something that you might experiment with. And you'd be surprised how many authors quietly have a pen name that they write a very different kind of book under just to give themselves some creative break. So hopefully this has been helpful for fighting burnout. For me, it's an ongoing process, right? I'm not doing this episode of being like, I have cured burnout. It's like, no, this is a wrestle that I'm having. Uh, it's kind of like this monster that I'm continually facing. And I'm still here. I'm still making podcast episodes. And so, you know, I've, I've survived so far. And these are the things that have really helped is, uh, you know, being organized, being disciplined to kind of reorganize because entropy, one of the things I've noticed is that it doesn't just apply to life. It also applies to the organizational system. So I go and I'll get a system and I'll be really organized and then entropy will start to happen with that system and I have to discipline myself to go back and, you know, clean things up again, <laughs> make sure the ax is sharp. And uh, writing a community is also really important. And one of the things that have really helped me are been my mastermind group that I'm in and also the mastermind groups that I host, which actually leads us to our sponsor today, which is the Author Media Mastermind Group. If you're looking for a community to help you hit your publishing goals, consider joining one of my mastermind groups. Uh, each group is limited to 10 and some of them are full, but you can join the waiting list, which is the best way to get onto a mastermind group. And once you join an Author Media Mastermind Group, you get access to our private mastermind Slack channel where you can text me and the other masterminds directly. There's a hot seat channel for each author and it's really encouraging. It's a place to celebrate your successes and a place to get you know feedback and encouragement for your failures. And one of our authors just recently won a major award and everyone is celebrating. It was really fun. And we also have a monthly video call with you and the other nine masterminds and me all together. We're encouraging each other to push forward. And one of the things I've realized is that as you get more established in your career, the challenges that you face really change. So when you're first getting started, your two big challenges are craft and platform. Right? It's learning how to write the kind of book that people want to read and learning how to get the word out about that book. But as you learn how to write better and as you learn how to promote your book better, the challenges shift to your mom getting sick and moving in with you <laughs> or your kids, you know, getting married. And, you know, suddenly it's all of these kind of external threats, these things that don't seem to have anything to do with writing. But now you're having to negotiate this major life change. And that's when having a community <laughs> really is helpful because sometimes you just need a listening ear. And so you don't have to join one of my mastermind groups. In fact, you may not be able to because they're often full. But I do encourage you to get in community somewhere. And if you do want to join one of our mastermind groups, we would love to have you. Our featured patron today is Michael Jack Webb, author of Infernal Gates. Time is running out for Ethan Freeman, an ex-Special Forces Ranger, to stop a conspiracy to free the Destroyer and his horde of fallen angels. So Michael Jack Webb, thank you so much for being a patron of the podcast, for helping keep the podcast on the air. I'll have a link if you want to become a patron of the podcast and help uh, keep these episodes coming. And if you can't afford to become a patron, but you still want to help the show, you can just leave a review for the podcast. We have been recently added to Audible as an Audible podcast, which is very exciting. But since Audible podcast is so brand new and we're recently added to Audible, currently we only have one review, which is way better than the zero reviews we had a couple of weeks ago. But it would help a lot if a few of you would be willing to leave a review for Novel Marketing on Audible. 
And I know some of you have been asking if I did indeed get down to one business card. I recently turned 35, and I did, I'm happy to say. Uh, The pruning was a success, and I was able to get down to a single business card. And I will have a photo of the business card in the show notes for those of you who'd like to see it. You've been listening to Thomas Sumstead Jr. on this final episode of Novel Marketing of 2020. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt, and the blog post version is by Shauna Letellier. To find that blog post version or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit authormedia.com. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper. And may you have a very Merry Christmas, and may the new year be better than the last.